Welcome back to Nota Bene. We're joined by a special guest. You want to say hello, Rosemary? Hello. How are you doing today? Good. All right. Did you have you enjoyed the auctions? Do you want to go see Popples today? I want to go see Popples today. We all want to go see Popples today. I saw Popples yesterday. Popples is looking great. Great, great presentation. Sotheby's did a really wonderful job installing uh, the Maclo, uh stuff. Yeah, well, you know, I, I saw it briefly. We're going to take Rosie back after a quick lunch at Lucienne. Maybe wonderful. we'll get a burger. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You, you can you can set yourself up with the iPad now. I know you're mm-hmm. waiting for it. All right, we're going to finish this up. So, Nate, it's been a busy week. We had busy a, big, week. a big, big miss on the auction room. I uh, was result. so wrong. I was wrong by like $200 million. Yeah, so. neither of us really, uh, or or our friend Locke, really came out too well. But, you know, it's a challenging global economy. Lots more auction stuff to talk about. We had a whole podcast of that, so skip it. Uh, we have an amazing guest coming up in just a few minutes. Well, one of the greats of all time. Yeah, we recorded him a couple days ago, but we have a uh, gallerist, dealer, former auction specialist, Martin Klosterfeld, and he has some great stories. Definitely stay tuned for that. Absolutely. What else has been happening since we linked up last? I think the last time I saw you uh, outside the podcast world was at the Boom Boom Room. Oh, the Boom Boom Room. The Zoom 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 in the Boom Boom Room. I love that that is now the official title. They tried to retitle it a few I times, know. but it's always been, always will be in time in Memorial. We have Marco Brambilla's fantastic it's uh, elevator it's video. Uh, I hadn't seen it since pre-pandemic. I hadn't been back to the Boom Boom Room. We- it feels good to be back at the top of the standard. It really felt like it took a New York gallery to bring New York really back for me. Standing in that room, fighting for like 20 minutes to try and get a drink, oh, so waiting sick. for Miss Lauren Hill to perform. Mm-hmm. I kind of scooted, you know, I had a nice little dinner with actually with Martin Klosterfeld and a friend of the pod, Meredith. Where'd you guys go? Uh, we went right downstairs, the Standard Grill. Great. Perfect. Yeah, it was just e- easy, you know, not the best food in the world but it's super easy Perfect. uh joined by uh sherry Husepian, which was nice uh, off her big win uh out in venice mm-hmm. and uh, then popped upstairs i didn't make it to miss lauren hill did you stay no no i didn't either she came on i think quite late i think it was close to 12 30 oh baby One. i was tucked in by then but you know uh it was kind of an intense crowd to get in i don't know if you experienced that but but i got there right at the start and there's a long line all the way down uh, uh the block past the standard yeah i saw that line certainly mm-hmm. yeah it was a little rainy uh yeah no we we had someone come out and uh right away as soon as we walked up come grab us so we didn't deal with the line yeah uh same here actually thank god which is very very nice of the david korneski gallery for getting us and once we we're up there you know it was just quite it was actually i'm not sure who the who the guy who came and got us was super chic he was wearing like a suit or a jacket and tying away but had one of lauren halsey's tie-dyed t-shirts kind of it, u- yeah. using it as a scarf and i thought it was like an incredible high-low look that i was really feeling lauren collaborated with our good friends at online ceramics to make that shirt Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. I love those. I actually bought two of the long-sleeve black t-shirts yeah, I got on one my as well. way out. Um, all, of course, they're really sick. I mean, you know, I love uh, Alex and... Super and sick. You know what looks absolutely lodges. ridiculous on me? What? A fucking online ceramics t-shirt made in collaboration with Lauren, Miss Lauren Hill and Lauren so, Housen. I, mean, like I tried it out last night. It's they're just, deadheads like you. Like they're, I know, but it's the know? black... I don't know. We'll try it on the tennis court this summer. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if the club will allow that, uh, but I'll give it a go. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you, you vibe with those guys, right? You know? Yeah, 100%. I'm totally into their vibe. I'm just not sure if I can rock it. Like, maybe Mm -hmm. they did a tote bag or a special edition of some sort. We'll see. I have a great online ceramic shirt that they made in collaboration with Calvin Marcus, who was also there. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, there was all sorts of all the basically it felt like the entire Kordansky roster had a been believe flown out by mm-hmm. Dave. Uh, so uh, I saw Jen Guidi, I saw Rashid obviously wasn't flown out. Uh, Calvin, um, uh, Lucy Ball was there. It was, Ball, it was great Wood to see was her. There. Yeah, I mean Jonas Wood's everywhere. I know, but great to see him back. It was in the great city. to see him. 
Um, yeah, it was just truly stacked with with all of the artists in the roster. And what else have you? What else have you been up to? You, I mean, you've been in all the auctions. I've mm-hmm. been to a couple of them. What else have you been doing in the evening hours? Anything good? Well, I mean, the auction you know takes up a decent amount of time, but I did manage to go to this nice little dinner that Jeffrey Deitch did at the Elizabeth Street Garden on Monday night after the Warhol. Um, Flopped, I guess. I didn't really flop, but you know, uh, <laughs> 200 million is never a flop, but yeah. yeah. Um, so I did make it to dinner very, very late, but still got some nibbles from Lovely Day that was catering it across the street on uh Tuesday evening. What did I do? There was the, the, the now sale, the contemporary sale. Uh, afterward, I went to Wu's Wonton King, which was just fantastic. I haven't been there in so long. Can we put together a little a Nota Bene table anytime you want because I, I think we should announce uh, I, uh, I'm wearing my Nota Bene hat. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do have. They hats. have finally dropped. I'm not sure how you can get one. I mean, I know there's some people that uh, that I'm sending hats to that have been guests on the podcast. Everyone's getting a hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people that left some really nice reviews online for our show that reached out they to me over hats. the gram. They They're get getting hats. hats free. Just getting a hat. Well, there might be some other some other secret ways to get a hat. What's nice? I don't want to say exactly what's on the hat. It, it kind of has to be seen to be fully uh, understood. And it's it's kind of a litmus test. If you don't immediately know what this if is, if you know, you know. And if you don't know, you don't have any business knowing. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, if you look at this, hat, I think you're they're like, hype. What's but going on here? Speaking of fashion, you. Nate, I I caught you on a little podcast called Throwing Fits the other day. I, I those I did, guys talk I, fast, but you really kept up. You know, a different kind of podcast experience. And how much Adderall slash cocaine are those guys on? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> But uh, they are very, very slick. They're very, very good at this. Um, yeah, I mean, they have something that we don't have. It's called an audience. <laughs> it's really incredible. <laughs> We we have our own audience. I think that they're a little intimidated by the size of their audience. To be honest, I think that that, that they you know they have to think about you know the the fans who are commenting on their Discord every time they they drop a pod. Yeah, I don't know what a Discord is. I know we have a very small but very rabid fan base, and a lot more of our fans, although not as big. Uh, fly non-commercials. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> that is absolutely we're, we're true. Kinda, you know, it's more like the ads in the FT magazine. I'm not sure what their circulation is. Probably not as big as people, but it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, but no, you sounded great. It was a f- really funny episode. I really Thank enjoyed you, listening to those guys. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that you put Henry Taylor on your Mount Rushmore for yeah. all-time great absolutely. artists. It was an unexpected, unexpected choice, but I <laughs> like that. Um, what else has been going on? I guess we should just briefly touch on the fact that the the auction for the Warhol was a little bit, uh, it wasn't as buoyant as people thought. Pictures like this have traded for over $200 million privately. People were expecting fireworks. I think maybe they hyped it up maybe a bit too much. And the fact that, you know, we are at war in Europe mm-hmm. and that, you know, equities markets are absolutely crushing. Inflation's at 8%, yeah. not helping. Uh, yeah. Definitely surprising, though, at the tippy top of the market. Not to, to self-promote necessarily, but I, I go into this, uh, quite a bit in my column this week that just dropped vanityfair.com Check that's it. why i brought it up and you definitely uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you definitely have some hints of people that might have brought the warhol but as thus far no one's been able to confirm who the no, purchaser I, I mean larry was the purchaser in the room mm-hmm. of the picture i was able to uh get a uh, uh confirmation from both jeff bezos and david Gevin that they are not the buyers so i got something but i don't yet have the actual buyer now well look forward to that i think mm-hmm. maybe it'll weasel out eventually it'll be posted on someone's ig it'll drop in a in a architectural digest background uh we'll see we'll uh, figure this out eventually it can't stay a secret forever they never do all right that's it i want to i think that's enough from us because i really want to get uh, get to the meat of it so stay tuned for this interview we did with martin klosterfeld coming up right after this welcome back to nota bene nate and i are joined this afternoon by a close friend one of the original members of the crab crew crab crew art dealer sailor auctioneer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. former gallerist mm-hmm. 
uh, a German living in the UK, Martin Klosterfelder. Martin, what the fuck is up, bro? Welcome to Nota Bene. What a treat. Number one, very good to see both of you. And fuck yeah. Good to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. We're so happy to have you back in New York after a two and a half year absence. What did you miss the most about New York besides us? Everything. Mm-hmm. The park, the smell, the mm-hmm. galleries. Mm. The pretzel booths. I had one on the way walking home last night. Amazing. Didn't finish it. <laughs> it was very salty. I mean, <laughs> they're, no, they're, no real, they're no real comparison to a true Bavarian pretzel, I wouldn't think. Little stale. <laughs> it's part of the charm. Have you been running while you're here in, in, in London? We're not in London. I mean, in New York? I have been running and exercising almost every day. Amazing. Not this morning. Amazing. Um, no, but seriously, I've really missed everything. I think you know I lived in New York from mm. September 93 until the summer of 95. And I landed in the city for the second time. In my life in that September 93 and it felt like home mm-hmm. and um, whenever I'm in the city I feel like I'm home it's great mm-hmm. and when you landed here that second time in your life in 93 you were going we were coming here to work for the Barbara Gladstone at that time gallery is that correct I did not know at that time that I was going to work for Barbara um, I had completed a one-year Christ education course uh, that summer and decided to take up on the offer uh, to be a student in the first contemporary course Christie's Education ever offered. Wow. And uh, quite a few friends of mine uh, from the uh, London course came with me. Charles Asprey and I were roommates mm-hmm. on 72nd and 3rd. And um, after a few weeks, I realized that the knowledge of the people teaching was um, below my knowledge and I decided not to continue it and then I started looking for an internship and uh, Barbara Gladstone um, and her um, director at the time was Richard Flood. Wow. Um, They took me in. They took me in as an intern. I was 21 years old, I guess, and um, loved it. Labeled slides. Mm-hmm. Like physical slides. Yeah, physical slides. And, wow. you know, I'm not very good with typewriters or was, any sorts of these things. Was so the gallery we, still in Soho then? 99 Green Street. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I was able to help put up amazing exhibitions. Matthew Barney, Cream Master 4, Jenny Holzer. Um, are some that I remember very fondly sarah lucas i believe had her first show with uh, with barbara mm-hmm. in 95 i helped setting that up wow did you just cold call there how'd you get your foot in the door so my first um art world job was with a gallery in hamburg called askan corner and he um faxed a bunch of colleagues in new york and asked them whether they would interview me for an internship and um, Barbara was Bar- Barbara's gallery. Richard was one of the very few people who actually responded. Uh, Castelli was on the list. I believe Brooke Alexander was on the list. And um, she said, sure. And uh, I started as an intern. It was very intimidating and a lot of fun. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. Now, um, previous to this, you were in the Christie's education in London. Yes. And who were some of your, who were some of your cohort yeah, over who, there? Who was hanging out at that time? 
So Charles Esprit, being one of them, who's still very present in my life. Um, Christian Edwards, who I believe you've met, who's an uh, art advisor out of Connecticut. And still a very good friend, Adriana Jan, who's a collector out of um, San Francisco and Bavaria. We, we are still very close and a bunch of other people. And I mean, Jennifer Bressler, that was just amazing. Wow. That was the year. That was the year. Was, was, was Henry also in that class or no? Henry who? Alsop. Hmm, I've never heard that name. Well. Henry is obviously <laughs> one of my best friends. Expertly I just, done. I, I, I just assumed that everybody who will ever listen to this um, is and was aware. He was indeed, yeah. Him and his mother participated. And wow. um, Henry was always sitting in the back last row for some reason, which I never understood. Um, <laughs> two of my absolute favorite people. The notion of, of you guys in the same class just cracks me. Slightly absolutely. terrifying. But and yeah. you, 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 you chose to not go to to university. Is that correct? You had you took a you had to go do your German um, uh, compulsory military service. So I ended up in my last three years of school, and I ended up being in a boarding school in the UK. And um, one of the A levels I did was art, art history. And the, I then had to go back to Germany to do the one-year military service. And uh, I ended up in Lüneburg in a tank recognition reconnaissance division. My God. And Just driving a tank for the German well, military? Well, these kind of tanks that um, I was allocated to actually have two drivers, a forward driver and the backward driver, because the idea is you go into... Um, into enemy territory, and once you see something dangerous you report it back to the heavy guys and just get out of there as quickly as you can so i was the mm. backward driver because the, it sounds like that was the minor job but that was actually the most sophisticated job on the on the tank we were four people because i was also the radio guy and you needed like an iq level of plus 50 in order to understand like morse coding and so on so um i, w I was allocated to that but that's incredible i feel like there's something to be said for uh, uh the fact that you were the rear the, the rear facing driver i feel like there's something to be said about being a contemporary art dealer and being a rear facing driver too behind enemy lines so this was 1992 and i actually ended up taking some of my soldiers to the documenta wow whoa and that was the documenta where i believe matthew barney christopher christopher wool first exhibited mm -hmm. and um so i had one guy who was like a little bit friendly with and then we just took two other ex from a completely different background people to this documenta i had like a small fiat we drove there and we looked at art and they were like what the fuck is this and i was like <laughs> one day i might be able to explain it to you and now exactly 30 years later i might be able to explain some of the books better but i was just intrigued i loved it you know i was hooked i was hooked i was absolutely hooked and to answer your question about university my plan was to then do the one year christie's crash course and then go to university mm -hmm. but then things just turned out differently because i then had this call to come to new york and my parents were kind enough to uh, support me on this. And once I was here, I kind of like knew too much. And uh, I just felt too much and just loved, you know, 93, 93 uh, New York. Uh, between 93 and 95, Gavin was opening. Gavin was still working for 303 Gallery. Wow. It was an incredibly exciting time. Wow. Yeah, I, I would imagine outside. Yeah, I was about to ask outside of what you were doing during your day job at Gladstone, like kind of what was the evenings like? like what, what are the other big galleries, 303? Like kind of where were you guys hanging out? What was the scene report? So I was the young kid and um, I was, as, as I mentioned, I was living with them. Um, Charles Esprit, who um, started really being interested in contemporary art. We did a bunch of studio visits. We started 
buying small works. Uh, my first work here in New York I bought from from an American artist who then ended up showing. His name is Matthew Tetzel. He's not on the scene any longer, but I bought this most amazing work on paper, which I still have and love, and it's worth nothing, but I don't care. Actually, I have, I have several works by him, and I think he's really good. And I bought it from Stefano Basilico for $1,600. Wow. Minus 10%. I mean that's big money. Yeah, in huge money for a huge for money. Uh, huge an intern slash junior employee. So I did the galleries. I just looked. I just looked around. I did a bunch of studio visits. Um, Anton Kern then also started working for Barbara Gladstone while I was there. So he was part of the scene. Wow. Um, Ivy Shapiro uh, worked there at the same time. We were good friends. Very good friends. <laughs> um, she ended up moving to Europe with me um, in '95, but didn't stay for too long uh ivy whose whose uh, son we saw at the uh at the miss lauren hill performance just we the did. other night together we, we did indeed yeah. yeah yeah of course that was that was that was very special and were you guys going out at night other than the galleries uh, you know were you at, that was the age of like tunnel and like like kind of rave culture in new york kind of what were your evening hours like it was more like a bar situation hanging mm -hmm. out but that was this one place um was it next to lucky strikes yeah and very close to Friedrich and Stefan Toad, Toad had Hall or something. Toad Hall. I don't yeah. remember the name, but it was like between, yeah, maybe Toad Hall and like yeah. he strikes. It was something like a bar scene, and you know, it was like artists and gallerists and gallery assistants, and you know, when people flew in from Europe, the, the group got a little bit bigger, and uh, I just met amazing people. And so you're in New York for two years, and then do you go directly back to Berlin, or what's your kind of trajectory as you leave New York? Um, I actually go back via Paris. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like it like a yes, I go back via Paris um and spend there about three months and then I help out Rick Retiro Venetia kind of like as his assistant on projects. Amazing. Oh wow. Um and I was in Basel helping him install the show at the Kunsthalle, which was an amazing uh, amazing exhibition project and and helped him out a little bit like as his as his assistant and I went to Scandinavia with him to help him arrange another project. So were you making some curry with him or some pad thai I should say? Oh yeah, how much cooking were you doing? I was more like the runner. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a project in I believe it was in Malmo in South Sweden and one of the museums where he, where he and students worked together on building this environment. And there was, I remember, a big trip to Ikea with a bunch of like, <laughs> young people just buying things for an installation. I, I don't, I don't was involved in the actual okay. cooking too much. I was probably more getting ingredients. Um, and it, during this time, working for Barbara, uh, working as Rickert's assistant, previous... Were you considering the notion, do you have the desire to open a gallery and to support artists that way and show them, or was this kind of evolving through time? I want to say it came gradually. I, you know, I didn't wake up one morning and said I want to be a gallerist or a dealer. It, it just came with time. And then I had such a good time in New York um, that I realized that if I wouldn't make the move back to Europe at some point, then I would probably stay forever. And there was kind of like a weird thought being so far away from my parents and my siblings and like, you know, all the people that are left behind and to just never come back. So I decided to make the to make the move back quite early after yeah, after after just under two years really. 
And did, as you were growing up, I know there was some involvement in the arts. Was your mother's gallery uh, already operational when you were kind of a child, or did that come later? So my mother is an, a publisher mm-hmm. still today, and um, my parents did some collecting when I was a young kid, and that intensified then. Probably also my move to New York intensified because all of a sudden, it's actually a good story. Um, Feature Gallery represented um, Charles Ray at the time, and I walked in one day because um, he also showed Kay Rosen, and my mother, my mother is was very close to Kay Rosen, doing a lot of like prints with her, and I saw this plank from Charlie Ray, and I'm completely obsessed about it, and I think the price was ten thousand dollars, and I called my dad and said, "This this plank from Charles Ray, you need to buy this," and he was like nice plank but I'm not <laughs> gonna buy a plank <laughs> like you're gonna be fucking kidding me and I was like really and then he found learned a little bit more about Charles Ray and then he was like you know what let's get that plank the plank was sold yeah and so I had a little bit of carte blanche to do a bit of to do a bit of shopping at the time so I was lucky enough to be obsessed by Felix Gonzalez Torres quite early on so Andre Rosen sold me three like a light string edition and you know this this photo album and the um, and the stack of imprinted the dolphins um, do you know what, what yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about yeah. does everybody out here know what I'm talking about oh yeah everyone knows educated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got these three works from Andrea and uh, and I bought a bunch of other stuff while I was here. And then I mean, the the best way to train a client, or in this case, your dad, is like when they realize they can't get something, and they're like, "Oh, now whatever you say, yeah, let's right. go, exactly, let's exactly, exactly." So I guess my client was were my parents, and uh, yeah, we had a lo- lot of fun buying a lot of things together and selling some, um, in in the course to buy more. But that was also part, um of my daily activities just at lunchtime. I just looked at everything. I yeah. just fell in love with Katie Nolan. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw the show, I think the only show at um, Paula Cooper mm-hmm. and was absolutely fascinated by it. Um, I think it was the first time that Damien Hurst showed with Gagosian. That was a big deal. Everybody wanted to show um, Damien back in the days and Larry got him. And, uh, yeah, so in addition to like seeing everything, you're also just the, 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 the connections you're making in acquiring these works, you know, talking to Paula, whoever, I mean, you know, these kind of deep, deep connections that I think are the underpinning of what we consider uh, this art world begins to take hold, it seems like. And so you end up in Berlin. How is, how is that choice made? I mean, it's an interesting time what, in Berlin. What year is this? This is 95. So mm-hmm. I became very good friends with, um, with Friedrich and through Friedrich Tim and Borkhardt and um, Alexander and Thilo from Gallery Neu and um, I just thought okay let's let's check out Germany mm-hmm. and uh, I went to Cologne and um, spoke to Monika Spruth and to Rafael Jablonka and we had both like job um, conversations and um, the money they offered me was not a lot and I just decided I want to go to Berlin. And then I think um, I had a conversation with Tim and Burkhardt and, you know, the, there was potentially that we're going to do something together. But that, that turned out, I was like, what do I have to lose? Let me just try out. Mm-hmm. And um, I found out the space, which was um former drive-through to a backyard on Linienstraße number 160. And uh, Berlin 1995, the entire street had not been renovated except that one building. 
And the space was like 30 square meters, was 10 meters long and three meters wide. And I, I just thought it looked so elegant. And this is where I want to do. This is what I want to do. And I had a lease for six months. And um, then all, all of a sudden, everything happened quite fast. And I opened my first show in January 2013 with Matthew Antetso, the artist I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Early on, I've got fantastic pictures from the opening. Super small, tight space. But, you know, the attendance was great. Everybody was there. And... Um, and it was the only non-squatted building on the <laughs> on the block. So all the guys came in and like tried to nick beers, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the, and and there was a review, um, in one of the newspapers in 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 the show, and and it said something like, "We we're not sure if we were waiting for for this kind of art, but it's definitely good to have all the Jack you're driving Kashmir sweater wearing Hamburgians turning coming out to an event like that." <laughs> It made me so furious and never, <laughs> never spoke to the journalist again. Well, that could be a lesson for you, Nate. Oh, yeah. If you're Laura Piana cracks. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you went on. I mean, I just have, I wrote down a quick list of artists that like uh, that struck me that you showed. And it's an incredible lineup. And I don't mean to leave it on with, but Hannah Darboven, Matt Mulliken, Jan Bach, Christian Jankowski, Elmgren Dragset, Jan Vo, Lawrence Wiener. I mean, these are like wow. seminal, seminal artists that you that you were able to show during your, I think, 18 years that the gallery was in operation. I believe 17 and a half, but you might be better. <laughs> <laughs> you, might be better you might be better counting. I just Googled, man. You, would, yeah. you lived it. Um, I mean, like, what was that trajectory like? I mean, how, like, how long was it? A, I mean, I'm sure it was always a struggle, but when did it feel like it was a real thing that you could keep sustaining in the early days beyond that six months? Was there like a moment or a series of moments where it really felt like it could be viable as a lifestyle and, and even a business? So everything happened really fast. I had the first show and then the second show and then the third show and then the fourth and fifth show, but no more lease. And so the person who I subletted the place one wanted me out. And I just set it out. I was like, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm squatting. <laughs> it's Berlin. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going. I said, like, give me another six months and then give me another six months. And that person... Yeah, we, it got uncomfortable for a little while, but then we like in the long run we became friends again, and obviously didn't leave. And what's interesting about the architecture that I described to you um, early, earlier on is that Konrad Fischer's first space had exactly the same function before he took it over. Hmm. It was also a former uh, drive-through to the to, to the backyard, and um, the second show I did was with an with an artist called Dan Peterman from Chicago. And he put a very minimal um, floor installation in there, and he was consciously or subconsciously quoting Conrad Fischer. <laughs> and um, the first Henrik Olesen show I did with him, it was called Four Pieces After Solovid, and it was three very fragile styrofoam structures and a milk carton. And that was, again, a direct quote of, of a Solovid exhibition. So uh, it was really nice, n number one, that so many artists were conscious about recent art history and uh, that they were able to deal with it in a really constructive way. And that first Henrik Olesen show it was so cheap and um, I didn't sell it. 
and then Kaspar Koenig walks in towards the end of the show and um, he then bought it and, <laughs> st- and still hasn't has it and that's definitely amazing. does not want to resell it. And that, that's like a heady time. And the, I mean, you're there be- in beforehand, but it becomes a really heady time in Berlin for mm-hmm. contemporary art. Uh, I think of a lot of American artists and, and other European artists moving there as a site of production, obviously. Um, like, what was it like? Did it feel like a scene built up around you or were you so heads down in the gallery you didn't even notice it happening? It felt from day one like we were the group that are building the art scene in Berlin. And then, you know, it was a handful of galleries. Hetzler had already moved there. And mm-hmm. then it was Neuger Riemschneider, Neu, that was Eigen and Arts. And that was me. And I was like, I was the youngest kid from all of them. Obviously, I was 23 when I opened my gallery. And um, but everything happened really, really fast, and it just felt like such an honor to be part of this at the time. And um, I visited a lot of art schools, and you know, Henrik Odisen, the first saw the Städelschule, and then we had a conversation, and then there was Kirsten Pierot and um, Christian Jankowski and, and John Bock. They both had the actually, John Bock, I think, had the first show first with my mom and then with me, and uh, with Jankowski was, was, was the other way around. Wow. What an absolute madman he is too. Yeah. I mean, that, like, what an incredible practice. Yeah, I think I still remember many years later bumping into you at a performance he did in a garage in Mexico City. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was exactly. like incredible. Exactly. I think it was somehow pre- somehow presented by Umax. Uh, that was pretty special. Um, I don't want to get stuck too much on this Im- like important part of your history, but um, when did you? Because there's so much more, but still, like, when did you start doing? What was your first art fair? Did you do like Art Cologne mm. first, or my first art fair was listed in 1996. Wow, I was like in business for like five months, and was the first lister that ever existed. And it was the lister where David Zwerner and Petzl and Eva Presenhuber and Maureen Paley and uh, wow. Carsten Schubert and everybody. It was the first lister that ever existed. And for some reason, I got in there. And we borrowed my mom's car, uh, a Mercedes station wagon, and rented a trailer. And Nogarim Schneider, Neu and I filled it up with art, also for some other colleagues who we charged, <laughs> and drove that thing down uh, overnight. Um, yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. That, that's I didn't realize what a murderer's row of galleries in that fair, which is still like a great stepping stone yeah, for, the for list, galleries. The, the, mm. the list is longer, though, so just the yeah, you know, oh, I'm that, sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had no idea that David Warner did list them. I mean, that's incredible to me. That's amazing kind of, and, and kind of beautiful. And it was still it was in that kind of brewery art school complex that it's still in. Yeah, wow. I think it's actually not there any longer. I think like from last year onwards, it became it, it went somewhere else. But okay. the original Vartek Brewery. Mm-hmm. And what there was were amazing parties and amazing art and you know people were selling art it was like such a refreshing moment yeah i mean did you did you do well in a, in, in a first art fair like did that did that trailer go back empty or still pretty full i sold some stuff which meant it was that's going great. well yeah that's great um and then when did you first do uh first do basel the following year Great. Right, right away. Wow. And like, a, did they even have statements back then? They what had the... statements. I think I did three statements. My first statement was with Matthew and Tetsu again. Mm-hmm. And I think my second one was, was with John Bock and my third one with Dan Peterman. And then I got a real booth. Wow. And was Sam Keller already, was the director at that point? Or who was the director of puzzle? Sam Keller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible. Director, have... friend, great energy, absolutely amazing. How would the, the, how, what was the, Different about the fair back then in the late 90s, uh, Basel, than now. So I had worked 
Etienne Art Basel in 1993, when they actually had three floors and my mother was in the addition section upstairs next to Brooke Alexander. She had a phone. Brooke didn't. Brooke always borrowed her phone. <laughs> Back uh, in the day when you had to have like a physical phone physical line installed phone. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah, booth yeah. and pay extra for it. Yeah, that was even before you had a physical fax installed. That only came a couple of years later. And I think, I'm pretty sure David was still working for Brooke at the time. So, and I had very little hair because I took the weekend off from the army to work for my mom. So, um, but walking around Art Basel then and walking around Art Basel now just feels very different because everything felt so special and, you know, so meaningful. And there were all these contemporary masters in the making, you know, all these kids that, you know, all these artists that you now see in all the Chelsea galleries that have been exhibiting there for 20 years was like the first presentation there. It was a physical effect of being overwhelmed and excited by artworks, which unfortunately... Now, for me, it's a little harder to get that enthusiastic about artwork just because there's so much stuff around so, and it feels so much more random. I'll take you on a tour as my client this this June upstairs. I'll get you excited again. I'll get you, get you geared up. Um, oh, they're, and, st- they're sitting upstairs? <laughs> not the third floor. This is the second floor. <laughs> um, we'll get to your career change in a minute and, and, and staying downstairs. Um, did you know Michael Fuchs at this period of time or is this pre mm. uh, you and, and Mr. Fuchs being friendly? I met Michael Fuchs pretty immediately when I moved to Berlin. Okay. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I was just thinking, every time I think of Basel, I think of our times in Spielweg, the fantastic uh, romantic hotel that Owned by, by involved the Fuchs in. family. Yeah. Um, One of the greatest places on earth. Uh, in the Schwarzwald. Uh, and mm-hmm. just thinking romantically, I hope I get a chance to go this year. I feel like I might not. Um, so uh, just on the subject of fairs, because then just a few years later, as uh, as Sam and, and some other people have, uh, I would say, the brilliant idea to take Art Basel to America and to, of all cities, to choose Miami. I believe you were one of the early uh, members of the committee that selected galleries for, I believe, the first editions. Is that, is that Do I have that down correctly? No, you do not. Oops. I, 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 I joined that a little bit later. I um, Tim Neuger was on the committee. And I was on the committee for a few years for the freeze, mm-hmm. for the for the founding freeze years. Um, I believe it started in two thousand and four, mm-hmm. and then right. um, when Tim discontinued his Art Basel Miami Beach jury membership because he went onto the Art Basel Basel one, I then took over. Um, his spot, kind of mm-hmm. like as a German-European eye for quality. I've always really appreciated about both the Basels that the way that galleries are selected, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the first time or whether they continue to stay in it, is by their peers, uh, in a way, by other gallerists, uh, and they still do that. And you guys used to meet up uh, off-season, so to speak, not during the fair in Miami, to have your, your, your deliberations about proposals. Is that right? Indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. That must have been pretty interesting. Who else was on the committee with you? Sean Regan was on the committee with me. Jeff mm-hmm. Poe then took over from Sean. <laughs> um, Eva Krinzinger was on mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, these things always change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and, and it's not that everybody leaves and starts at the same time. It's like an evolving process. I think the idea back then, I don't know what's going on today, was for it to be like six, seven years. Yeah, I just always like the notion that it's an intergenerational and intergeographical mm-hmm. thing too. So it's a way for these dealers outside of an art fair context to spend time with each other. And I think right. there's some mentorship that seems to develop out of that. Andrew Krebs, Michel Macaron, they were on the selection wow. committee for the Younger Project for a while. Amazing. So obviously we worked 
very very hard and they're, they're, they're really really long they're really long sessions you i mean if i remember correctly you you you're in a meeting room on the beach you've got the view for 12 13 14 hours because all these decisions need yeah. to be made and these 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 decisions are really really important it's and they affect people's livelihoods exactly and, and, and if you then artists. went out got a little carried away and um, you paid the price the next morning because <laughs> <laughs> but you were all professionals at doing just that so no doubt right. it's kind of like spring training for the actual art fairs mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely mm. um so fast forward, you see uh, Berlin through the 90s uh, and into the first you know, decade and a half of the 20th century, and you, you certainly saw some sea changes in the art market, the types of buyers, the type of art that they're attracted to. Um, uh, and what was that like for you? Did it seem like the world sped up a little bit? Yeah, interesting question. Um, I don't really think I'd, I dealt with any of this like in a conscious way, but you, you know, I went into the race because I read all the books on like dealers that I admired and loved, and um, some of them are still operating. Paula being one of them, and the whole vision of basically having a long-term, building up long-term relationships. And I felt like the world was changing a little bit. And um, I, I mean, I, I know the world was changing a bit because everybody, everything grew so quickly mm-hmm. and everything became very competitive beyond. It was, expe- you know, stand still and rot was the quote that was used by Angus Fairhurst and one, and, 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 and one of his pieces, you know. If you, if, you, if you don't do what everybody else is doing, you're putting yourself in a weaker position. That seems... Still to this day, today, it just seems so stupid. Everybody should just do what they feel comfortable with. And, um, you know, the amount of fairs that you were expected to do, I think I did like seven fairs one year. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, and, and you know, the whole thing just felt like, started to feel like a hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. And the time spent at the gallery was less and less. And the time spent with artists was less and less. Mm-hmm. And the conversations of can I have a work for an art fair uh, became more and more. Were you were you always doing some secondary market deals while you were while you were doing this kind of cutting edge primary stuff? Or, or yes, okay. I had to in order to 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 support the costs of the gallery. Absolutely, and it's it's something that I loved, always have loved, and always will love. Flipping through auction catalogs, also the regional ones, and seeing something that hopefully, hopefully nobody else is seeing and bidding on it, buying on it, and selling it with a profit and identifying artworks that don't function in a certain context, like it, like an auction, but if you take it out of one context and place it into the next one, it could be something really amazing and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a smart thing. I think something younger dealers today, mm-hmm. uh, much to, you know, to their benefit is something they should, if they have the capability, something they should pay attention to, especially as we move into a, mm-hmm. into a period where I think things, the market might be a little bit less voracious, right. shall we say. Without revealing too many details, are there any specific deals that you remember that you're very proud of, times that you, you know, identified something and placed in a new context or work that you... So I was lucky enough to now have connections in the U.S. So I sourced some Warhol drawings mm-hmm. or like an Etouffee painting in local European auction houses, wow. held on for them for a little while and then sold them on. Right. Amazing. I also did that with um, Katie Noland. I did that with Richard Prince. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the artists that I loved. And I, w- I was able, you know, uh, I, w- I was able to find good stuff and then move it on. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, the reason I asked that somewhat leading question is because uh, the next part of your story, after you choose to close the gallery, 
uh, is where we begin our real working history together is you join the Phillips Auction House based out of Berlin. So I closed the gallery with the Bastian Ada show uh, titled In Search of the Miraculous in 2013. Um, it was a big surprise for the art world and unfortunately also to some of my artists who, um, who um, you know, it came a shock to, 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 to a lot of them. They just couldn't believe it. But um, leading up to that decision, which wasn't a spontaneous decision, it came over, over years, it, I just felt like I'm becoming a person that I don't want to be. I didn't feel like I was true to myself. Um, maybe I was looking at artists to show artists and represent them because I thought it made sense from a financial point of view, but I didn't really love them. And that just made me feel weird. And then, you know, I, I, with some conversations, I, 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 um, over time and time, I just realized Number one, this is also my life. And just because you start something, um, I actually have the choice to discontinue it. And um, I, I was really surprised because when I, 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 I announced it through the press that morning, I resigned from all my art fair staff. I called all my artists and then flew to the UK um, to go to a 40th birthday from one of the persons we mentioned earlier on. And I was meeting a friend of mine and... Um, for lunch before we went out to the country and um, was joined by another gallerist. And his reaction was, congratulations to this conversation. Well, the reaction from all my German peers was like, how can you? Huh. And um, yeah, we got really emotional, but I also got phone calls from, from one of my very good friends here in New York who had a gallery and it's like, you can't do this. And I was like, yes, I can. And I did. And I did. And, um, yeah, so this was a big decision and uh, it, it was an interesting decision. And then, you know, I was like, what am I going to do next? And I was like, maybe I'm going to do nothing for, for a while. Just kind of like one figure out what I want to do. And then um, I got a phone call from um, from Henriette Phillips and he said, why don't you come and join us? And um, at the beginning, I was like, I'm not sure. And then I was like, why not? Because I basically, when I had the gallery, one of the biggest problems we always had was auction houses sell your artists too early. And I was not fond of any auction house, especially Phillips. But then it was kind of, it made like click in my head. It's like, okay, there's going to be a weird decision, but I'm just going to work with them to fully understand how the, what's actually going on. Yeah. And this is when you and I became, uh, we were already friends before, uh, B Benjamin, but this is when we actually started working together. Yeah, and what I a think fascinating time. It was such a fascinating time. It could be a whole separate podcast. I mean, I think for me that your story makes a tremendous amount of sense because although I had less time history-wise, there was quite, uh, people that were close to me were quite surprised that I went from working in a museum in a curatorial capacity to doing what I consider a 180-degree turn to going and working also at Phillips at an auction house. Um, which is temperamentally uh, so much different. Um, and just, you know, many people consider like the exact opposite. Um, I loved that time because I actually spent, and this is different from you, but I spent so much more time talking about art and artists and artworks in an in-depth way at an auction house than I really had while working at a museum. And to understand the value of objects uh, intertwined with their art historical or their, or their intellectual or artistic import as well as their financial import. And we just had so much, we had fun, but we also like did a tremendous amount of work just talking about what is this? What is it worth? Why does it exist? Who would want it? And I found it really fascinating introduction for me to the market for art. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, I do see similarities for, for I mean, how it must have felt for you to join and how it felt for me to, me to join. But um, I feel like maybe because I didn't go to university, but those three years, I just learned so much. And also as a dealer representing 15, 20 artists, you know everything about those 15, 20 artists, but you have not in-depth knowledge about a lot of artists that you care about a lot. So... Um, these positions are being called specialists at Auction House. So um, I joined with that big title, Senior Specialist. But, you know, I feel like maybe towards the end of it, I was getting there slowly. <laughs> uh, that's your typical understatement. You are always doing big business. And your ability yeah. to kind of find special pictures out of kind of the, the Rhineland and bring them to market was always pretty exceptional. And we did some great, we did some great work with different, I mean, we did that fantastic and weird project with Francesca von Habsburg that was incredible. Oh, wait, tell me about that. Uh, I mean, I wish I could remember all of the details, a bit of a hazy time, but we are uh, uh, in support of her charitable work, uh, which intertwines uh, scientific exploration uh, and investigation along with artistic investigation. Um, uh, she had a project uh, curated by Nadim Saman where it was kind of an early, almost like a proto NFT where you're actually buying the idea of something. You're buying the sculpture that had embedded within it. If you're able to crack the code to it, GPS coordinates that would take you to a very special treasure. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty incredible thing. And, uh, we spent some great time in preparation for that, uh, in Vienna and visiting some like really interesting, like classic European collectors, which were for me was my first introduction to the sort of, uh, bourgeois collecting class that Europe has that America never really quite had or certainly hasn't had since the 1960s and 70s. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and we had some great sales. But uh, I think soon before I left, as there was kind of a sea change at Phillips, uh, you took a position in the private sales department at the Sotheby's auction house. And this was just after Amy Capalazzo and Alan Schwartzman had sold their firm and joined Sotheby's. What was that transition like from a smaller, more scrappy, Uh, we'll, we'll say minimal oversight situation to a much more corporate space. So I was approached by Sotheby's while I was at Philips and I was, I had a great time at Philips um, and I, I really appreciate it. We, we just got a lot of work done while having fun. Yeah. And I think that's always important. We just really, I mean, there was amazing sales. We worked our asses know, off, yes. but we did it over great yeah. launches and like really yeah. thought about art and how to sell yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 absolutely. So, um, Amy joined, and um, Amy Allen and Ad Adam joined, and um, I think they were looking for somebody who knew the German market, and um, it just worked out that way. I was supposed to move to London for Philips, and basically I just ended up moving to London for Sotheby's. By coincidence, like the day I signed my contract with Sotheby's was the evening of the Brexit vote. I know, I know. I, I could, I could not believe it. I just didn't think it was going to happen, and then it did happen. But any, anyway, well, it, allowed <laughs> you, it allowed you to sell an apartment in in euros and buy it, and and then undervalued pound. No? Yeah, I wish that would have happened. No, with the, happen. <laughs> the pound remains strong. Okay. Still is the Europe euro is weak though. Um, so I originally joined just as a senior director, senior specialist in the contemporary team uh, in London, and and again, it was a tremendous learning curve. Um, from Phillips to Sotheby's and I ended there and being there for six years and I've always been quite good in private sales it just came came natural to me from from all my previous engagements and um, 
Well, I started doing mainly auction house, uh, mainly auction stuff. But basically, the my my percentage shift moved more and more towards private sale, and um, then at some point um, after David Schrader had joined, um, we we decided that I was going to run the European private sales um, mm-hmm. contemporary art division, and also mirroring, I think, all of the auction houses. You know, moving more, you know, expanding more and more into the private sales exactly. mm-hmm. from strictly auction. Exactly. You know, finding that their their consigning clients were looking to not be time limited by when they could sell things exactly. they're looking to deaccession and also trying to um, get more and more involved in the life of their collecting side clients uh, where it wasn't just, you know, four to six times a year where you could really be in touch with them more regularly. Yeah. And I must say I had fantastic, uh, fantastic time at Sotheby's. Um, I met so many colleagues that I respect so much and I learned quite a bit more about deal making. Mm-hmm. Um, at Sotheby's than at, at, at Philips. So one of the reasons is because it was one of the big offices and for Philips, I ran the German uh, I, I ran the German representation for, for, for Philips. So I was like basically on the deal tables and all these meetings at all times. And, you know, um, so nine years later at auction houses, I, um, I, I feel I actually know how these function finally <laughs> yeah and, and at Sotheby's you're, and this is no uh, uh, no slight to Philips though there's slightly more intricately structured deals you have a financing arm at Sotheby's uh, providing art finance and you can do a little bit more creative deal making things I would presume you can definitely do more deal making and probably more paper and less handshakes <laughs> Yeah, these contracts were pretty damn yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I ever read any of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. The consigners don't either. No. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys did some, some great stuff. You did some selling expeditions. And I, I really want to focus on your time uh, on the Sotheby's sailing team, which I know won a couple of important races while you were involved. Absolutely. So my first time on an auction house uh, racing team was with Philips, actually. And um, Henry also was part of my crew and he never, <laughs> oh he, my never, God. He, he never fell overboard and never. Uh, he's more of a shooting sports kind of gent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah one one of the big things that i miss not being at sotheby's any longer is obviously being part of the sotheby's sailing of team. course but, but there is good news because there's now also a dealer sailing team oh wow yeah and are how you, many times a year do you have regattas only once unfortunately are you and pair getting on the boat together is that how it works um I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, yeah, so I guess we should mention for me that you've uh, subsequently, you, you left Sotheby's last year, the year before, and recently announced that you're now the director of, uh, uh, the senior director of the runner, I'm not sure what your title is, at Scars Dead, based out of London, and over also overseeing the Paris office uh, for Pair. Is that right? Yeah, the Paris office oversees the Paris office, but um, I, I, I joined about 10, 11 weeks ago uh, after six months of not being allowed to work after I resigned from uh, 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 from, from Sotheby's and um, the person who was in charge of the London Gallery prior to that decided to do something else so this felt like it was an opportunity and um, yeah it was a, what was a bit of a surprise to be approached but um, the more I thought about it it just felt like an absolute no-brainer because at this point you know I obviously know how to run a gallery and I also know how to be a secondary market dealer and both both of these things you know scarset gallery is one of the 
best examples in the entire world. Yeah, and very, and very involved mm -hmm. in markets of artists that you've been very interested in over the Absolutely. years. So I think there's a, a certain synergy, synergy to that, both the Germans and even like Americans like Richard Prince uh, mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, my, my private sales activity of my artist list is very much mirrored and discussed. Yeah, it, makes, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. And not, not, not much to be said there as you did just join. Though it was fun and funny to see you uh, uh, on your first art fair booth in a long time. I know. At the recently that was great. FF. Was it, was it fun to see me there? Oh, it was, well, it was blast. It was funny for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden it happened. After, after, after nine, after nine years again, I started in a, you know, I started in a building where new descending the staircase was sold in which year? I'm going to ask the journalist. Neither of us know. We're both. I think it was 1914 was, was the original Armory show, right? Was it 14? I think so. Incredible story about that painting, mm. right? Because it. Uh, a collector from New Descending the Staircase from Marcel Duchamp, one of the most important artworks yeah. ever done. And, you know, everything about Mar Marcel Duchamp, uh, I'm still very inspired when I look at every single artwork right now. This is an amazing story. And if you guys don't know it, I don't, I'm not sure if I remember it 100%. I don't know it at all. I, I don't. So somebody saw it, was really intrigued by it, but didn't pull the trigger. And then he took the train back to Los Angeles what? from New York. Which is like a, probably a week's journey at that point. Oh, yeah. And at some point during the trip, he figured out, I need to buy this thing. So he got <laughs> off the train and I'm not even sure if we were making phone calls. Telegraphing, telegraph. I guess. Yeah. I think it was then telegraphing or whatever the means of communication was back then. Like from that train stop wow. back to New York to say, I'm buying this painting. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, listen, when you stand in front of something, if you have that feeling in your gut of their people, just say yes. You're say probably yes. right. Say yeah. yes. Yeah. You don't want to have to try and find a telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> um, I w we could keep going like for so long, but I think uh, I think we should wrap it up. I know you have places to be, things to see, and a plane to catch back to London to your beautiful family. Mm -hmm. um, we'll hopefully that we'll see you uh, certainly in Basel in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll you'll be downstairs, which I don't spend a lot of time, but I guess we'll meet up and uh, always and, meet on the staircase midway. Yeah, sure. yeah, we can, we can have a little. Uh, we'll we can have from Leclerc. De definitely going to take you up on that kind offer to show me upstairs and. I'm in return going to offer to show you some stuff downstairs. And if God is if God is shining on us, maybe we'll make it to Spielweg at least for a quick little meal. Oh, I wish uh, I could my join. favorite place in the world. Nate will be on baby duty, mm -hmm. uh, God willing. And Nate uh, and is maybe not coming? No, 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 he's going to have a baby. Skipping Basel for the baby. That's never stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a lot of them. Um, and uh, and maybe we can even look forward to you making an appearance uh, uh, out in the Hamptons at your gallery this summer. I think that would be exciting. That would be very fun. I would love that to happen. All okay, right. I get a spare bedroom for you. You can crash with us. <laughs> good, good. Rosie, you think it's okay? Rosie, come here. Oh, no, she's done. All right. Martin, thank you so much. That was an incredible pleasure. This is absolutely incredible. Note to Out. Out. <laughs>